Be kind. Rewind. This is Dope Nostalgia. Welcome to an all new episode of Dope Nostalgia with your host, me, Naomi. I have a great guest today by the name of Curtis Steiger who had an amazing album that came out in the early 90s. And then he moved on to do all kinds of bigger and better things, including doing music for that huge show, Sons of Anarchy. And uh, he'll be here to tell us a lot about what he's been up to. But before we get to that, we do have a little bit of news about one of our past guests. So here it is. Hot off the presses. Adjust those rabbit ears. You got that antenna pulled up? It's time for some dope nostalgia news. <laughs> You remember our special guest from episode 100. His name is Damon Johnson, and he is the singer from the band Brother Kane, who had the huge hit and Fool Shine On back in the day. Brother Kane is proud to announce on their Instagram the return to the concert stage this year. Their first confirmed performance will be coming up at the Northern Lights Theater in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You can check that out on Friday, April 22nd, and they'll have plenty more to come. So if you're a Brother Kane fan, make sure you check that out if you're in the area. Wikipedia moment. Curtis Steigers drives his publicist crazy. For the past 30 years, the singer, songwriter, saxophonist, and guitarist has been making records that confound those who try to categorize his music or put him in a box. Curtis Steigers has had several top 10 hits as a long-haired, blue-eyed soul singer, and he's written and sung an Emmy-nominated TV theme song. He's recorded a track for one of the biggest-selling pop albums of all time, and he's released nine critically acclaimed, award-winning jazz albums. He's played for presidents and princes, and he's appeared in two Seth MacFarlane movies about a foul-mouthed, cuddly bear called Ted. He's recorded 13 studio albums and a live album singing Sinatra songs with a big band from Denmark. He's toured with symphony orchestras, written songs with Carole King, and duetted with Al Green, Sean Colvin, and Tom Jones. Who is this guy? Well, Curtis Steiger's new album, This Life, is the answer to that question. It's a celebration of three decades of musical exploration, evolution, and growth. It's a look back at 13 albums, thousands of concert performances, and millions of miles on the road. Curtis Steigers burst onto the recording scene in 1991 with his self-titled debut album, which sold 1.5 million copies and spawned several self-penned, pop-soul-flavored hit singles, including You're All That Matters To Me, Never Saw A Miracle, and the worldwide top 10 hit, this one, called I Wonder Why. The 25-year-old New York City-based musician then toured the world in support of the album, opening shows for the likes of Elton John, Prince, Eric Clapton, James Brown, Joe Cocker, Rod Stewart, and Bonnie Raitt, and made multiple appearances on the TV show circuit, including The Tonight Show, David Letterman, Arsenio Hall, and The Today Show. Heady times for a kid raised in Idaho who grew up listening to records by artists as diverse as Stevie Wonder, Elton, Frank, Steely Dan, Joni, The Band, Elvis Costello, and so many more. Growing up in Boise, Steiger studied music in school and spent a year away at college on a jazz scholarship, but found he was better suited to an education gained by playing in bars and clubs, with bands running the stylistic gamut from punk rock as a drummer, to blues and soul as a saxophonist, to jazz, most notably at the Tuesday night jam sessions run by the unlikely Idaho transplant Gene Harris, a legendary and influential pianist best known for his many recordings on Blue Note Records. Now when we go over to his Wikipedia, it tells you all about the fact that his combination of rock and soul was also popular on the soundtrack to the movie The Bodyguard, one of the best-selling albums of the 90s, which contained his version of What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding. Now, his song This Life was made for the American television show Sons of Anarchy, and he also sang John the Revelator for the season one finale. You've heard of him before, and he's going to tell you all about his new album and what he's been up to all this time. It's a super pleasure to welcome Curtis Steigers to Dope Nostalgia. Sure. How's my, how's my, is my hair, is it staying on? You I look glued fantastic. It on, I glued it on really well today. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
That's a cool, cool room in your place yeah, there. Is that I'm, a... I'm in the basement. Um, I have a few different places that I do these things. My favorite place is up in the kitchen where I do my my weekly live stream show songs from my <laughs> kitchen. But the dogs are all here and you'll probably hear them anyway. But if they were in the same room as us and the mailman comes, oh, my God, it's like chaos. It's like he it's like he doesn't come every fucking day. You know, I mean, he's here every day. It's the same guy. Why do you have to bark at him every day? He's never done anything wrong so far. A highlight anyway. of their day. <laughs> there you go. They're excited. We get to scream at him again. We hate his uniform. <laughs> Curtis, it's a pleasure to have you on Dope Nostalgia. Thank you so much. And thank you for no, telling me about the Marcella interview that you checked out too, because um, obviously she was a fantastic guest as well. Oh, yeah, um, she's, she's great. I mean, what a talented person. I mean, and the, the years of of different types of work she's done the songs that she's written for other people mm -hmm. lay down sally anyway it yeah it was it was cool it was cool to listen to that now where are you let me ask you before um Anna, before i tell you where i am i am in edmonton canada oh yeah okay you're basically kind of north of of me i'm in uh, boise idaho cheers. i was gonna cheers i was literally gonna ask you about growing up in boise and the fact that mm -hmm. you're you're there you're still there home sweet well, home I came back. Yeah, I lived in New York for 16 years, got to, got to a record deal, got married, had a kid, came back to Idaho, got divorced. Um, my kid uh, went back to New York. Now she goes to college in New York. She left me and went back to live my dream life. Uh, for me, but I'm still here in Idaho again uh, because I can ski and I can mountain bike and I just get on a plane and go to Europe and make a living and go go to London and Paris and and mm -hmm. Copenhagen and Berlin and and sort of see the big cities uh, without having to slog through it every day. You know, I did that. I did that when I was young. Europe, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. So, like, is you've obviously done a lot of touring and recording and performing there, but. Did you ever live there for a time? I've I've never officially lived over there. I, I've spent you know weeks and weeks uh, at a time uh, touring, and I, I've I've done a couple of TV shows that that kept me in London for for weeks at a time. But no, I, um, you know, I, I'm home here in Idaho now. I I, I uh, who know I mean who knows uh, with with the way things are going and uh, mm. the, the the politics in Idaho are are getting are becoming increasingly frighteningly conservative so you never know wow. I may end up I may end up uh, moving to London someday just to run away from it at all uh, at all <laughs> but or or Edmonton you know you can maybe you can show me a, a yeah. tell me about a nice place to live in Canada I mean we do say that down here oh Canada Canada's starting to sound uh, rather attractive again. Uh, no, I totally understand. Um, yeah, it's a nice, it's nice being in Canada. That's for sure. Um, but, uh, have you had a chance to do much, um, touring up here at all? Sadly, no, I've played, yeah. uh, I played with the, with the symphony or the philharmonic. I can't remember which, what they were called in, uh, in Vancouver, uh, a wow. few years back. That was lovely. I, I mean, it's amazing. I, I grew up in Idaho, not that far from Vancouver, but I'd never been there until a few years ago. What a gorgeous city. I mean, just an amazing part of the world. Um, I've played Toronto, uh, several times, uh, at the jazz yeah. festival there, uh, played some really nice shows. And that's it. I, I've been trying to get to Montreal to play the jazz festival there, and it just never seems to work out timing-wise. But uh, I'm I'm willing. I'm ready, willing, and able. It would be it would be lovely to to be a regular tourer of Canada. Has jazz always been the main influence on you in your music? Oh God, no. I mean, I love no. jazz, and I grew up studying jazz. Uh, I went to college for jazz. I mm. I played clarinet and saxophone all through, you know, grade school, junior high, and high school. And I I was in the jazz band and the jazz choir, that sort of a thing. And I love I love jazz music, um, and I know a lot about it. But I, you know, my first the first album I ever bought was "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road" by Elton John, and. Nice. Uh, uh, soon after that, I bought Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder, and uh, I, I got into Steely Dan, and then I got into 
prog rock and then I got into punk rock and new wave. I mean, that was that yeah. was a that was where I lived in high school was, you know, I played drums in a band that played the Stranglers and and the motels and the pretenders and the, uh, you know, things like stuff like that. Sort of uh, Elvis Costello has been a huge influence on me and I love him. Nick, Nick Lowe. I, I like music um, mm. when I make jazz records. I put songs by the Kinks and the Beatles and Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson and uh, Ron Sexsmith uh, and Leonard Cohen. I, I, I like to take songs that aren't necessarily thought of as jazz vehicles and I take them apart, put them back together in a in a jazz style. I mean, it's not 100 percent jazz. The jazz purists would say, oh, no, you should just be playing standards. But uh, hell with them. <laughs> exactly. The new rendition of the song, You're All That Matters to Me, is a song that was on your debut album in the 90s, and you've reimagined it. Yes. So, yes, well, I got a chance to listen to it, and it was fantastic. So, Well, thank you very much. Yeah, th this yeah. new album, um, it's called This Life, and it's about this life that I've led, uh, you know, touring millions of miles around the world and making 13 or 14 albums. Uh, I can't even, I've lost count now. Um, mm. And I decided for the first time in my career to sort of look back, to look back at some of those songs. I had a few hit songs on my very first album. Uh, I Wonder Why, You're All That Matters to Me, Never Saw a Miracle. Now, when I play live, those songs sound totally different than they did on my first album. Uh, mm. They, I, I tour with a jazz quintet now or as a jazz quintet and we we play it we play my my older stuff more organically more uh, acoustically um, and with uh, you know a bit of jazz uh, some more than others and so I decided to to make a record that was uh, that that reflected that reflects the way I play these songs now hope so you can hear my dogs now probably right yeah, sorry about that no don't worry that's just a normal sound in life our, our loving pets <laughs> Especially these days doing, you know, with, with the pandemic and everything, people have gotten used to that. Hey guys, be quiet, please. I'm trying to talk to Canada. Oh, who knows? <laughs> they, they, they get so upset. I have four dogs, um, which is too many, way too many. I mean, a really number. it's, it's, it's a round number. I mean, you know, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a, you can, you can get a square root of it, but um, mm -hmm. no, it's, it's just, they're wonderful, but um, we, we they, they, when anyone walks by, particularly if they have a dog, they become incensed. It's like, how dare the neighbors walk by our house and they brought dogs. Anyway, I think we all understand how dogs are and how their minds work or don't work as the case may be. <laughs> it's true. They're a joy. I have a cat though. Well, cats, totally. are, cats are nice too. A little less, they're less noisy. That, that must be nice. A lot of self-care there. Which is sure. good if you're a busy person. Yeah, you can leave for a few days. They're fine. They, you know, they, <laughs> they know where the food is. Now I'm going to play a couple clips here for you of the song, You're All That Matters to Me. I'm going to play a little bit of the original version that came out back in the 90s. And then his brand new version of it that's just released on the new album, This Life.
mistakes like any man But I try to love you the best I can I can't convince you Heaven knows I try I've tried to make you see To make you believe You're all that matters to me The ground that you walk The air that you breathe Someday you discover I don't want no other That matters to me Now, um, I understand that this uh, is the first time you're playing the soprano sax in your music? Well, on, on record, yeah. I mean, I, I play, I, you know, I, I started out playing the clarinet, then I, I, I started playing the alto saxophone for a little while, but the, the tenor saxophone uh, became my axe. That's, that's the instrument that I normally play. That's the, that's the, that's the, the horn I get on an airplane with and, and, and travel around the world with. Uh, yeah. But when I, um, when I made uh, my first album, uh, I Wonder Why was my first hit my first single and I played alto on that. I just called for alto and I actually asked mm. David Sanborn, uh, someone that I, I knew um, and know uh, to play alto and he couldn't do it. He couldn't get around to it. So I had to go out and buy an alto because I hadn't had one. Um, but I've always had a soprano sax back to your question. I've always owned one. I hardly ever take it out of the house, but it's frankly my favorite horn to play. I play it at home all the time. It's small. It's easy to just pick up and play and work out workout fingerings and things. Um, and so, yeah, this time around, I decided uh, I was I was home uh, finishing up this album. Most of this album was recorded live right before the pandemic, but uh, there are some overdubs. I, I usually tend to go back and fix my saxophone stuff and, uh, you know, fix a vocal here and there. And mm -hmm. I decided, well, I'm home. I have my soprano. Why not put it on this? And it, uh, I, I've always loved Joni Mitchell's records from the 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 mid seventies, mid and late seventies, when she used Wayne Shorter uh, playing soprano mostly on her records, I just loved the way that Wayne played on Joni's records. And I thought, even though I'm no I'm no Wayne Shorter, nor nor am I a, a Joni Mitchell, but I I I I decided that, you know at least to use that as a template, sort of a an inspiration. Uh, mm. uh, the, the the Wayne Shorter sound, particularly on, uh, I mean, his, his work, his he played on uh, the album Mingus, that that great sort of her 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 transitional record from being you know a a quote folk artist to being you know a goddess of just about every style, but particularly uh -huh. jazz on that record. I I, I love Joni. She's a Canadian treasure. Oh my God, <laughs> she's a world treasure. Yeah, she's. Uh, we appreciate you loaning. Yeah. loaning her to us all these years one of our best exports oh goodness i imagine her i understand that she recently got um one of those artistic achievement type awards from the american government i can't remember what it's called it's like the kennedy center honors is that I mean, she might have yeah i think right? maybe there is a kennedy center honors um it, i don't think it's aired yet mm -hmm. anyway yeah I'm, I, I'm i'm a little fuzzy on it as well but she's finally really getting her her due she's finally i mean over the years she has been rather vocal about the fact that the boys all get uh, you know are, are all recognized as these heroes and she wasn't um, mm -hmm. meanwhile almost every musician i know holds Joni in incredibly high regard. So uh, uh, it's time that sort of the rest of the world noticed that, yeah, she's one of the great geniuses of, of recorded music, really, of, of, of the whole era. She, yeah. she has done so many amazing things and made so many great records and written such perfect songs that are unlike anyone else's songs. Now, since this is a 90s podcast, we like to talk about what happened back in that decade. And with the first albums that you put out, would you say that they were more pop-orientated music? 
Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. My my, my first three records fell into the pop category for sure. Uh, particularly the the first two. I made I made uh, my first album, the eponymously titled album, Curtis Tigers. Uh, yeah. uh, it came out in '91 uh, in, in North America, and uh, and and then I my second record time was was '95, and those records in particular, both on Arista Records. Were, were pop soul records. I was, I mean, I, I was, again, I was a jazz musician. I was even signed while playing with a jazz trio in, in a restaurant in New York City, but I was playing everything as I kind of always have. I was playing, we played a, a Steely Dan tune and we played an Al Green tune and we played a big Joe Turner tune and we played a Charlie Parker tune and we played my songs. And uh, so when, when I signed with Arista Records, uh, they're a they are a pop label. They were a pop label, and that's what they wanted. And luckily, that's the kind of songs I was writing at the time. I was really I had just learned how to write a good song by by uh, collaborating with a bunch of great New York City writers. And uh, so that first record was you know it, it it was on the pop charts. It got the number you know in the top ten all over the world as a, as a pop record. There's there's probably a little jazz in there you know um, because just of who I listened to as I grew up, the, the type of uh, uh, musicians that I listened to, but more soul, more uh, more pop, more blues, I guess. I mean, I now that I listen, when I listen to that first record, I think, God, you were really, th that kid was really trying to prove he'd listen to a lot of Ray Charles, wasn't he? And, oh. and it sounds a little overblown to me now. Now that now that I, I listen to it, I think you probably, you could probably take it easy, kid. Lighten up a little bit. <laughs> Did um I was listening to it and I was I was thinking you know which song that really stood out to me as my favorite would have been the man you're going to fall in love with. Uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I like that one too. I just played that on my podcast or I'm sorry on my uh, live stream on Wednesday. I hadn't played it in a long time. Um, yeah, that was one of the first songs uh, that I wrote that that ended up on that record. That's one of the oldest songs, perhaps the oldest song on, on the record. Um, mm -hmm. And it was definitely written from a. Uh, a very insecure, uh, you know, late teens, early twenties, young man. It was uh, the whole idea of it being, you know, uh, we're together now, but I, I, I have, I've created this man in my head that you're going to fall in love with next. And he's going to, he's going to be rich and he's going to do the dishes and he's going to, you know, all these things. And um, it's kind of sad in a way. And it's, <laughs> I was like, it's brilliant. Like, directly. Oh, thank you. Well, it is sad. It's a messy. Um, I, there was a New York Times uh, uh, reviewer in, in the review of, of my first concert in New York City as a recording artist, Stephen Holden, said, you know, that they were songs with messy emotions. And I'm like, yeah, what emotions aren't messy? I mean, we're that's that's who we are. But, but especially then, you know, I mean, I've I've maybe I've maybe gotten a little bit less uh, insecure after uh, many, many years and being married twice. And, but still, you know, there, there's, there's that insecure boy in there somewhere. gonna fall in love with He's all the things I'll never be To you, yeah I know he's all in my mind The man you're gonna fall in love with Is real enough to steal your heart No matter what I do The man you're going to fall in love with The man you're going to fall in love with The man you're going to fall Fall in love with After you
you've got some real amazing grit in your tone, in your vocal tone. Um, so what do you think is more important in your voice, having clarity or having a bit of raspiness to it? My voice, well, my voice sounded a lot like me <laughs> back in 1991, and it sounds a lot like me now. They're kind of two different me's, though. Um, mm. And there is, I, I suppose there's more grit in my voice. I mean, I'm, I'm older, uh, and your voice does change. My voice yeah. is... Um, my 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 voice is uh, it's done a few things. It's gotten grittier, but at the same time, because I allow myself to sing more quietly and to tell the story instead of to yell the story, uh, mm. uh, sometimes my my sound is is softer, is clearer than it was when I was singing. I wonder why we hold on. I was really going for it, uh, and and now when I sing, I wonder why. I I tend to sing it like I'm singing it to one person. I got I got a great um, I got great coaching from a, a record producer called Larry Klein. Uh, he made one of he made a record for me about oh 10 years ago now. And actually, Larry Klein was at one time married to Joni Mitchell. He was uh, oh, wow. Joni Mitchell's husband and 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 producer and bass player for for a long time and and larry klein said go out there and sing this song like you're singing it to one person not like you're singing it to everybody and what a great that's just that's the best advice i ever got as a singer you know above and beyond you know like you know don't make your voice don't don't hold your don't clench your elbow or your shoulders don't you know th those were great but when he just said that it was like oh yeah that's how i should sing every song like i'm singing it to one person and uh and that works. So uh, that's that's what I try to do now uh, is just is just sing the song like I'm 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 having a conversation with somebody. That's amazing advice to pass on to other vocalists. I mean, I'm going to keep that in mind and tell my friends. <laughs> yeah, 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 it really like, it really works. I mean, that if I such a if, simple if, concept, but it's true. If they hired me to to be a judge on the voice, that's what I would say. I would say don't sing this to that whole audience that's out there screaming and going, woo, woo, sing it mm. to that one person, whoever, whoever you want to sing it to, it, it's going to, it's going to have more emotional heft. It's going to, it's going to be more real. If you, if you just do it that way, um, mm. you know, then there are some songs where it's, you know, you're singing, you are singing it to the world, but uh, for the most part, most songs I think are better sung if if you think of it in, in now as you can terms. tell zoom has been giving me a few audio problems there's a lot of crackling that happens and i've had to cut out a lot of stuff that was said so i'd like to kind of just go over what curtis and i were talking about um i asked him one of his favorite what one of his favorite album tracks would have been that he would have liked to see as a single which is a question i ask quite frequently and we started talking about his song keep me from the cold which has also been remade for this new album. He mentioned that he would love to see some, you know, new singer take that song and make it their own and make a cover of it. When I asked him about who he'd like to see sing it, he mentioned the amazing, incredible Pink and how much he adores, how she sings, how she entertains, and just what a well-rounded um, musician she is. So that was his suggestion. So thank you. And I'm sorry, you guys, about some of the static in the interview. I think for the rest of the interview, everything's pretty cool. So thank you for your patience. Here's a sample of Keep Me From The Cold. When the snows come and the wind blows cold, will you hold me like you'll never let go? Will you kiss me so sweetly and promise you'd love me so? Cause I have wandered through the mountains I have searched the streets below All I ever really wanted Was someone to hold me And to keep me from the cold After these messages 
Dope Nostalgia listeners, I love you and I thank you so much for being a part of this show and its success over the last two years. We have what's called Patreon for those who want to support the show financially. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a subscriber and get bonus content, early podcast release, all kinds of cool behind-the-scenes stuff, and more. There's different tiers of membership starting at only $1 a month. And we even have some special merch for you guys who are in it for the long run. So please join our Patreon. It's at www.patreon.com forward slash dope nostalgia. Throw on your Jinkos, Baby Tees, and Doc Martens, grab your Lisa Frank Trapper Keeper, and join Jackie and Danielle on a journey to the late 90s as we reminisce about the movies of our youth on the No More Late Fees podcast. Don't forget your flannel and butterfly clips. And remember, be kind and rewind. Double your pleasure, double your fun. That's the statement of the great man in double men gone. Double your sentiments, your merriment. Double your moment of fun. Double your delightment with the right For refreshment, it's the only one. Double your pleasure, double your fun. collaborations and such as a writer um what was the experience of writing with glenn ballard like oh it was a dream i mean glenn i met glenn uh, about uh well in in late 1990 and we just hit it off when, when we started talking we started talking about the same music and loving the same people and uh uh, so just just having the, the similar kind of backgrounds, uh, listening wise and fan wise, because we were both we're both big fans of of music, um, that was a great start. And then you get into a room with this guy um, who, and but at that point he had he had already written and had you know massive success with the song "Man in the Mirror." Man in the Mirror, excuse me. He wrote that with Saida Garrett. Um, mm-hmm. He had written all, or at least co-written all of the Wilson Phillips music. He'd had number one hits for people i mean really wide wide range of people even george Strait had a number one hit with one of his songs um and and then right after my record he started working with alanis morissette so uh, mm-hmm. i mean the guys the guy has had amazing success when he would sit down and start playing the piano it just it it always worked i could always hear okay there's the song let's go um he was, and he was also a great gentleman. Uh, Glenn Ballard's incredibly kind and warm, and he mm-hmm. always fed me well. He always took me to <laughs> to good restaurants and to made sure I, I I was I was all topped up with uh, with Chianti and whatever whatever I needed. Uh. Uh, and he made a really good <laughs> cappuccino as well. So I mean, this is a perfect songwriting partner right there. <laughs> That's a reason to do it again, collaborate yes. again for the food and the drinks. For the food and the drinks and the cappuccinos. And the company. Do you prefer writing yourself um, as like song solo or do you prefer collaboration? I, I, much, prefer, I much prefer collaborating. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes I, I'm, I'm, I really, I push myself to finish songs on my own. Um, but I, I have to say, I've got a lot of unfinished songs. Uh, mm. And I also really love finishing a song i love to come in when somebody's got a really good start and a really good title and and i can sort of look at it as a song doctor or or just as a guy and 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 just say oh yeah this is great what if you did this and what if what if the second verse said this Uh, you know i Mm. i i like i'm i've never been great at coming up with the title of a song if you give me a title that just my, it goes. Uh, I, I write with a guy called Larry Goldings. Uh, he's a well-known uh, in the jazz world, one of the finest jazz keyboardists in the world, certainly of his generation. He also, his day job is playing keyboards for James Taylor, uh, but, but he's got, he's an amazing jazz musician. And we've written a lot of songs together and it tends to be him sending me music uh, where he'll sing a melody He'll play piano and he'll sing a melody and he'll have basically the whole song done except no lyrics save for one line. And that line 
um, he'll always say, oh, it's crap. This, that's not, it doesn't mean anything. I just put it there just to kind of give you an idea of where the, where the, where the title of the song might be. And almost every time that line that he's put in there sparks something in my mind and it's become the title and the whole idea of the song. Um, mm. The first example I can think of, of that was uh, we wrote a song called How Could a Man Take Such a Fall? And he sent me the whole song, but with that line at the end of each verse at the end of is like sort of a verse verse uh, bridge verse and uh, mm. um and i at that time was uh newly a father i i my, my daughter was two two years old i think at the time uh one or two and um i suddenly i i thought well this it's a perfect it's kind of a humorous song about me right now how you know i used to i used to hang out at the track but i quit the ponies and i and i ain't been back how could a man take such a fall and it's like that i used to ride in limousines i used to hang out at the bars how could a man take such a fall and then of course the bridge is well i love this fall it's this fantastic this is exactly where i want to be but so to make again to make a really easy question incredibly complicated in the answer. I love it when somebody gives me a title and, and lets me run with it, that it, it just sudden that it, if I get a good title in my head, bam, it just starts to unfold as a whole song, as a whole lyric. And uh, mm. anyway, there you are. It just, it's makes the process that much smoother. The, well, yeah. And it yeah. just, it just kicks it off for me because I, I have a, I, I guess it's maybe self doubt or, or worried that, you know, I don't know. I just, for some reason, I don't, I don't tend to come up with titles that I'm, that I stick with. Uh, um, mm. Whereas when, when somebody else gives me one, it's like, Oh, what a great idea. There are, I mean, uh, real pro songwriters, the guys I met, I've met in Nashville or uh, whatever, they have notebooks full of titles. Every time they think of something, they're in a conversation, they go, wait a minute, let me write that down. And there's a, you know, a title. Um, and I, I should, I should have a notebook. I should start carrying a notebook. I'm 56. I'll get around to it eventually. It's a, it's like the thesis statement. So everything yeah. else comes in line with that st one statement. Yeah. And, and sometimes too, you can start with a title and it'll, it's a jumping off point and you don't, you know, eventually you throw it away. Um, that happens too, but it, mm -hmm. it, it, it really does having that one, like you said, thesis statement, that, that title to just kick it off. It really, it's nice to have an inspiration like that. So back to your original question. I love co-writing. Um, writing by myself is a little scary. And um, I, I tend to, I, I, unless I have a deadline, I tend to not finish songs. And so mm -hmm. having someone waiting for me at their studio or their house for me to show up the second day after writing the first day, and they want me to show up with some lyrics that pressure makes me write it. I'm like, you know, it's like, mm. it's like cramming for a, for a final. I spend a lot of time writing lyrics while I'm driving somewhere to finish writing a song. It's like, oh shit, I got to get this done before I get to Glenn's house or he's going to be really disappointed in me. And that, <laughs> and somehow that, you know, that ends up being a, a good, uh, just having a deadline is really good for me. It, it, it works. Some people, they're very, they're self-motivated. I need a deadline. And so I, I self deadline, I, I create deadlines. And one of the ways I do that is by having co-writers that are expecting me not to, not to screw up. Mm. Um, how was the process on getting a song on the huge soundtrack to the bodyguard? It was, it was like, um, falling off a log as my grandfather would say, it was, it was, it was, it was just, it, 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 it strictly happened because I was on Arista records and Whitney Houston was on Arista records. And so that mm. soundtrack was going to be on Arista records and Clive Davis, this was right after my first album had come out. I was out touring. Uh, I was on the road touring for my first album in early 92 and, Clive Davis said, "There's we're, we're making this movie, and uh, or they're making this movie, and Whitney Houston's the star with Kevin Costner, and there's a track for you. We just, you know, and so I, I wrote four or five songs to go on that soundtrack, and every time Clive said, no, it's wrong, it's all wrong, it's all wrong. That's how Clive talks. He, he does that with the back of his neck. Um, anyway, <laughs> he um, he said it was all wrong, and what's really funny about that is that." Um, in the movie, this is 
I'll give you an example. This is how, just imagine Whitney Houston's sitting, her character is sitting in the dressing room at a club where she's going to play this little, this, this little thing. And in the club next door, through the wall, you, you know, muffled through the wall, you hear. That's it. That's how much my song was in that movie. Um, yeah. My track was in that movie. So it wouldn't have mattered. It could have been three blind mice and it would have, would not have mattered. Um, however, um, my songs apparently were not right. They just weren't right. Uh, but I was playing, and this is, there's some name dropping here. So listen for them to hit the floor. Um, mm -hmm. I was opening for Elton John and Eric Clapton at Shea Stadium in the summer of 92. I think it was uh, the July 92. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. I mean, I, my yeah. dressing room was the, uh, was the, uh, the the uh, uh, locker room for the visiting team at Shea Stadium, where the Beatles played, where the Mets played baseball every, and mm. um, and so I'm I played my set and I went off to the the dressing room and Clive comes in uh, and says that last song you played in the set that was it what was that and at the time because my first record didn't really have a bunch of it didn't have a lot of up tempo. It had mid tempos and 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 ballads, but it didn't really have a slammer for the end of the show. So mm -hmm. I would play "What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding," the song written by Nick Lowe, made famous and incredible by Elvis Costello, and I did like a rhythm and blues rave up version of that mm -hmm. song at the end of all my sets, and that was the one that Clive. He didn't know what the song was. He'd never heard it because what what would he oh. know about Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe? Um, <laughs> but, but, um, so he said, that's it. That's the one. So I said, great. I get to, you know, I get to record a song that, uh, I've been listening to on an Elvis Costello record since I was a kid, uh, and went into the studio very quickly one day with Danny Korchmar and my live band, my touring band. And we were, we churned it out, bam, it was on this, this record. And I didn't think another thing about it until it started selling by the millions that soundtrack. I mean, the movie was a big success, uh, but that album sold now it has sold 45 million copies imagine if i had ridiculous imagine it? how wow. wealthy i would be if i had written that song <laughs> <laughs> um, oh wow i know but but you know the the one of the cool byproducts of it besides you know my ex-wife having a nice house but um thank you that's my <laughs> That's, I always say that when I introduce a song, it's cute. Uh, anyway, and she does have a nice house, thanks to that song, probably. I didn't make a ton of money because most of the money that I made from that record went to the three or four times I recorded, I, I, I spent, or the heiress to spent to rec record my next record. That was, mm. you know, the trick, Clive Davis making me record that record. It was all coming out of my money. So, um, mm. you know, I, I did okay, but Nick Lowe made well over a million dollars. Uh, and I've, because of that, I got a call from Nick Lowe one afternoon, uh, maybe six months after the record came out to thank me. He was just like, the, these huge checks keep showing up in my mailbox, Curtis. Thank you so much. And, oh, wow. uh, and so I'm friends with Nick Lowe. I'm friends with an idol of mine, a hero of mine, mm. because of a, you know, just a lucky break that I got a, a track on that record. And uh, it just mm -hmm. keeps, I mean, this, the record just keeps on selling. It's really cool. So it doesn't really matter if you couldn't hear it in the movie. That soundtrack was everything. No. It, the soundtrack was the thing. And I, yeah. you know, I still, that's, that movie is one of those movies that, you know, you come home after having a, had a few drinks and it, if it's on the TV, you can't, you got to sit down and watch it. It's, it's, it's like, it's, mm -hmm. it's like, um, it's, it's like uh, comfort food, right? It's not, yeah. it's not an incredible film, but it's a fun movie to watch. And, and uh, there's a lot of, uh, and Whitney, she was just so beautiful and what a singer. It's just, uh, yeah. she was a, uh, incredible. Classic, absolute yeah. classic. Um, how did the making of the music for the Sons of Anarchy happen? That was another really lucky uh accident, I guess, or just a lucky break for me. Uh, my friend Bob Thiel Jr. Uh, was the music supervisor for the show. Before that, mm -hmm. I had known Bob as my co-writer. We'd written a bunch of songs together and he he co-produced uh, my third album, Brighter Days. We'd been friends for years and oh, 13 years ago, something like that, Bob called me up and said, hey, Curtis, I just got this new job. I'm the music supervisor on this new tv show and we've written the we've written the music uh, dave kushner and i dave kushner was in the band velvet revolver among other things and he and ah. bob 
Bob Thiel Jr. Yeah, yeah, cool. And they had written the music for this theme song and he needed me to write lyrics. And I said, okay, yeah, I've got some time. I'm off the road. I'm, I'm not touring right now. What, uh, What's the show about? And he said, it's about bloodthirsty gun running bikers. <laughs> and I said, no wonder you called me. Oh, you know, because that's me. That's me, as you can see, with my uh, all my tattoos in it. Uh, anyway, no. Um, so I, I wrote I wrote lyrics. I made a little demo of it, uh, or you know, I, I sang over the music that they had sent me. Uh, sent it back. Um, the, the Bob said they like it. Uh, the creator of the show, Kurt Sutter, is going to change some of the lyrics. He he wanted to add some ideas. He did that. They sent that back to me. I thought, all right, that's cool. Um, it's his move. It's his show. He can he can fix the lyrics. I sang it again, sent it back, and Bob said, "That's it. They want to use this version. They want to use you singing it." And honestly, I thought I was just going to be the writer. I thought I was just going to have written uh, the lyrics or some of the lyrics, and suddenly I was the singer on it. So it was really a nice break. It, it's different than the music that I make these days. You know, my, I, I make jazz records, uh, kind of, as as we've discussed. But um, and and that theme song rocks. I mean, it's just like a blues rock killer thing. But um, that's where I come from. I mean, I grew up playing the blues. I grew up playing in rock and roll bands and punk rock bands and whatever else. So I I, I have that in my uh, you know in my paint box. It was it was it was easy and fun to do, and that led not only did i um did i co-write and sing the theme song and we we won we we were nominated for an emmy award which was very cool but i also Incredible. got to sing yeah it was great and and i also got to sing several other songs uh throughout the series throughout the life of the series bob would occasionally just call and say i'm i just sent you a track sing it and, and okay cool yeah so i got to sing the great sun house blues gospel uh thing uh, uh uh, John the Revelator, which ended up being like mm -hmm. 15 minutes uh, of the of the final episode of the first season, and I sang uh, uh, what was it, uh, traveling traveling band. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, from uh, CCR, I sang a lot of different things for that, and it was you know it was a, it was pocket change. It was a nice little bit of cash every now and then. They'd send me a yeah. check. I never really made a fortune, as you'd hope from having from being a writing a tv theme because it was just on cable it wasn't like a it, it wasn't a it it didn't make nearly as much money as it could have um i know i talk i talk about money a lot but i have a daughter in college right now so <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad thing to... daddy needs some daddy needs a paycheck every now and then <laughs> Riding through this world all alone. God takes your soul, you're on your own. The crow flies straight, a perfect line. On the devil's bed until you die. That's interesting because the soundtrack is popular, but I don't know if if TV soundtracks do the same thing as movie soundtracks, do they? This one, it didn't, you know, and it also didn't sell forty. If if it if the records had sold forty five million copies, I probably would have made. Uh, I probably would have made a lot of money. But uh, it's it's the kind of thing where it just it 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 has generated um, some some new fans, some people that would never have come to me uh, because they're you know they just saw me or heard me singing on, on the TV and, and thought, well, let's go to his website and see what he does. So 
it's it's been a lot of fun. It's it's and I've met some of the I got to meet some of the actors from the show. I actually did a little tour with the Forest Rangers, which was kind of the made up name of the band that Bob Thiel used to to make those records. And and Katie Seagal, one of the one of the stars of the show, um, mm -hmm. uh, Peg Bundy, she yeah. came out and she was, you know, she came out and sang on the tour. It was really fun. So I got to Yeah, meet she her can and, sing. Hey, oh, hell of a singer. Yeah, she's great. Um. And you know, the whole art of the TV theme song doesn't really exist anymore. So yeah, a lot it, of shows forego it. They don't have it anymore. Yeah, it's definitely, it, it has, it has evolved, hasn't it? You know, you don't have your big like cheers theme songs, you know, that often these, these days they'll even use, um, they'll use uh, uh, songs that are already recorded, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll mm -hmm. yeah. So it, yeah, it may, it, I, I may be the end of an era. <laughs> well, that's a good experience. That's awesome. Uh, tell me about the live stream. You've mentioned it earlier in our conversation too. Oh, um, where can we watch it? And what's it about? Song, songs from my kitchen. <laughs> um, songs from my kitchen. I created during the pandemic. Uh, actually, before that, I... I, I started a Patreon page. I don't if I don't know if everyone probably everyone doesn't know what that is, but it's a it's a thing you can do on online where you can you basically get people to subscribe mm -hmm. to your thing for so much a month, and then you create content for them to watch or listen to. And yeah. I did that, and it was fun. But I only had like a hundred people doing that. I, I wanted more people to see the little videos that I was making and and hear me sing these songs that I was I was filming myself doing so i i closed the patreon account and i just started doing a live show every wednesday at 1 p.m mountain time uh which is uh 3 3 p.m east coast time and uh, uh noon uh, west coast time in the states and then of course in europe you'll have to do the math but yeah. uh, it's it's basically me standing in my kitchen with a couple of really good microphones this being one of them and mm. um and an, and a nice little webcam and my kitchen i have a kind of a nice looking kitchen we have we have a we have a pretty kitchen behind me and i sing my songs uh, i sing other people's songs i learn songs from my early records that i never really knew how to play on guitar uh and now i've taught myself I learn new songs that I, I, I hear something and think, God, I got to do that on Wednesday. And so I spend the week practicing and learning it. And um, my dogs are a big part of the show there. I have four dogs, as I mentioned earlier, um, two larger dogs and two little bitty dogs. And some days they're angels and some days they're assholes and they yell <laughs> and they bark at the mailman and it's part of the show. It, it, it is really fun. People, I think there are, there probably are a lot of people who only tune in for my dogs because they're pretty cute. And they, you know, you know, I've got a little poodle that can, can stand on his hind legs and twirl. And I, the big dogs are just cute and, and fluffy and um, they're stars. They are little doggy stars. We have, <laughs> as I said, we have four, the very, the smallest, she's the oldest. She's about 12 and she's a, she's a Morky. She's a Maltese Yorkie mix. And she only weighs two pounds. She's tiny. Oh. I mean, you look at her and you think that can't, can't possibly, that can't exist. That's just too small. Um, and she's the meanest. She is fierce. She has no teeth left. Um, she's had to have all her teeth pulled but she terrifies these other dogs and she's the hardest to get on camera. For some reason, when, when I, I put up all the lights and everything, it just freaks her out and she goes outside. So I always mm -hmm. say that she just has, she has a very good agent who uh, is, uh, is just holding out for more money. I think that's what it is. <laughs> she's looking for the perfect gig still. Yeah, she, she is. She's like, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I don't do cable. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you, I mean, you have like a timeless sound, regardless of the era that you, you made your music in and like an old soul feeling I feel to the songs and the delivery. Now, if you could have picked a decade to be a musician in, which decade would you have chosen? Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, um, I suppose, uh, I would go back, you know, I, I suppose, uh, the, the sixties and seventies were, uh, were, uh, the fifties, sixties, and seventies, for different reasons, had uh, you know music for me that that would have really worked. Uh, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I could have fit into those decades for different reasons. I mean, in the nineteen fifties, Frank Sinatra was making incredible music 
you know, you know, records that I still are, they're my favorite records at the same time. Rock and roll was, was being born. Can you hear my dogs there? The the mailman, the mailman must be here. (laughs) Even like the seventies or eighties, because you could actually play live music and travel across the country and do your own songs and still make a living doing that. Sure. Yeah. And I feel like nowadays, a lot of the bands that play in bars, it's all covers mostly. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. They're, they're, they're they're really, there really did used to be, you know, the circuit where you just get on a bus and go and uh, um, you'd play nightclubs and you'd play dance halls. I mean, then you're going back to like the thirties and forties and um, um, which, you know, the grass is always greener. I mean, it probably having to get on a bus and put your tuxedo on the top, you know, on top of, of your clothes and you know, pack your, pack your tuxedo last. That's, that's what they say in the big band world. I'm sure mm-hmm. that that was amazing, but also that's a, that's a hell of a life, you know, as, as, as Robbie Robertson said uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, in one of my favorite movies, the last waltz, uh, it's a, it's a hell of a life. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a, is that, you know, to be on the road, my goodness, it's, uh, I love it. I love playing music for people. That's why, that's why I do this is to play music mm-hmm. for people. But that, the traveling element of it, even, even with, air, with jets, you know, it's a, it, it can, it can really take it out of you. It beats you up. I bet. I bet. Any uh, guilty pleasures you have, even whether it be like listening, food, <laughs> TV <Yes>. shows. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty play. Well, musically, I mean, I tend to go back to, you know, like the 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 really middle of the road pop music that my mom listened to in the 70s. She was a rocker. I mean, she she grew up loving Little Richard and and the Rolling Stones, but mm-hmm. by the time I was listening to music, my mom had a lot of Neil Diamond and John Denver and Jim Croce around the house, which yeah. I mean, all three of those, you know, it, when I was a punk rock drummer, I would never have admit, admitted that I listened to that <laughs> stuff. But now, you know, every now and then I'll, I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll throw on a little Jim Croce. I'll, I'll listen to Poems, Prayers and Promises by John Denver. Uh, mm. You know, so th- there, there's a lot of great music that as I've gotten older, I've realized, oh, that was really good. Like the Bee Gees, for instance, a band oh, that- Oh, so just, good. When I was a kid, and I was at the time, you know, I was listening to prog rock. I was listening to Yes and Emerson, Lake and Palmer. It was not cool in my circle, and it was a very small circle, by the way. <laughs> mm. It was not. Um, it was not cool for us to to you know listen to beat. They were not cool at all. And no. now I, I watched the 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 documentary that came out not long ago, and I'm I listen to the Bee Gees now. What well, my God! What great songwriting! What totally unique sounding music uh you know again when you get older you start to realize that music doesn't have to be cool it just has to be good and uh Mm -hmm. uh, there you know i've i've i think i've shed all of that uh, most of my prejudices uh, uh against uh you know music that i didn't think was cool now i realize i was the one that was not cool and they were really cool Mm. They could really certainly craft melody. That was, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the song "You Don't Know What It's Like to Love Somebody." You know, yeah. you don't know what it's like. That yeah. is one of the greatest pop soul songs of all time. And it's just, it was before their disco era. Um, and I mean, it sounds like it sounds like a Lieber and Stoller song. It sounds like Aretha Franklin could have sung it, or, or the Righteous Brothers. It's just, bam, so good, so good. Maybe it was the disco element that turned people off mostly, but there was, yeah. I mean, and, and there was, there was this weird, as you, as you learn in that, in that BG's documentary, a lot of that uh, prejudice against disco was, was, uh, um, you know, homophobic homophobia and, and racism. It was, you know, I mean, for me, it was just like, Oh, I only listened to really tricky bass parts by, you know, by English prog bands that it didn't have anything to do with that but um yeah i mean there was it there was a lot going against disco because of that stuff and then also everybody tried to jump on the bandwagon and there ended up being a lot of really crappy disco uh mm-hmm. after the fact you know the, the but there was some fantastic music that was just basically soul music with a more solid thumping beat that you could dance to mm-hmm. um so anyway yeah that's uh that was a uh, 
that was an era that uh, I, I have gone back to now. And now I'm thinking, hey, I, I would have liked to have gone to Studio 54. <laughs> that would have been fun. Right? Wow. Yeah, no, I, I like looking at old pictures and stories about that place and thinking, well, I like yeah. the movie too and everything. But, um, but to wrap things up, of course, I wanted to ask you, what goals lie ahead? Like for the year, what's coming out? And uh, we'll share some links with everybody too so they can listen to everything that's new and exciting. Great. Yeah, um, it's always hard to tell what the hell I'm going to do next because uh, I have, you know, my, my blessing and my curse as a mu musician and as a, and a recording artist has always been that I, I'm, I'm versatile. I do a lot of different things. I mean, I love to sing with a big band. I love standing in front of a huge orchestra and singing lush arrangements of beautiful songs. But I also sit around my house and play my play my guitar and, you know, play Willie Nelson songs and, and uh, write little folk singer songwriter country songs, you know, uh, I, uh, I would love to make a record that was really stripped down. Um, like my show, like my my songs from my kitchen show, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I were me, <laughs> if one of my next records is Curtis Steiger's songs from my kitchen. Uh, I don't know what those songs will be, but I think they would be uh, rather stripped down, rather acoustic sounding things. They might have, you know, guest soloists and things, but uh, I like the idea of doing that. I like the idea of touring with that as well. I, I did a show here in uh, Sun Valley, Idaho, just up north here in this wonderful little theater there uh, called the Ar Argyros Theater. And I took my laptop. They had a big screen and wonderful uh, uh, audio visual. You know, they just had all the bells and whistles in this, in this theater. And I basically did my kitchen show in a theater. So I, I had a picture behind me on this giant screen of my kitchen, the same way it looks when I'm, uh, when I'm on, on, uh, you know, on, on the internet. And then every now and then I would push a button and one of my videos would play. Cause I, I make these videos with my dogs, silly videos and things. And that was really fun. And it was also just me. I didn't have to fly a band around. I didn't have to worry about a bunch of hotel rooms and buses and things. It was just me, my laptop and uh, a guitar. And uh, so th th that's probably in my future, but at the same time, I, if somebody would pay for it, I would love to make a record with an orchestra. There's something so mm. beautiful about standing in front of all those violins and violas and cellos and, and, and horns. I mean, it's, it's, it's really astounding. Uh, and uh, I get to do that now and then I get to, I get to go and play with orchestras around the world. So there's, there's probably one of those records. And then I'm sure there's something else that I haven't thought of yet that I'll do the year after next. You know, I, I, I'm, music for me has always been about growing, about learning. When I was a kid, I listened to so many different types of music. I was listening to Neil Young and the Sex Pistols, and I was thinking, I want to learn how to do that and that. I want to learn how to sing like uh, Ella Fitzgerald and like Robert Plant. Why not? And so mm -hmm. uh, that's that's how I'll be till I die. I would I would guess. You know, I'm just going to keep on growing, and then. Yeah. And then I won't be. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fantastic to have you on the show. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Curtis. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So when this comes out, um, I'll tag you in the social media. Beautiful. Uh, maybe I'll send a, a, a message off to Michelle too, just to let her know it's coming Good. out. And yeah, please let me know. Cause I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll perpetuate it to my tweets and my facebook ins and all of that i'd love i'd, I'd let me know for sure and, and again thank you i really appreciate you getting the word out about my new record that's very nice of you absolutely all right we'll do that right. and uh good luck with everything all right thanks. I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna go feed the dogs say hi to the dogs and okay. <laughs> enjoy the Take rest care. of your day all right Bye. thanks
that Tamagotchi and listen for a second. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope, Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.